0: this is tomorrow's bite podcast the podcast where andres and i are diving with stunning guests into their story challenges and opportunities all backed by food allowing us all to get inspired get more knowledge and growth and today we talk about
1: it was the first time i had to deal with people who were very unhappy or very angry or frustrated and then we started in the evenings just working out of his kitchen and garage a lot of people, I think, struggle by waiting to have something that's absolutely perfect and then they may miss the boat. I can't stress enough how important it is to utilize that community that you have.
0: What do the Italians think about your pizza?
1: It's just a great tasty pizza that's very sustainable and here's why.
2: So what would be the top three advice that you would give us regarding how to build our brand? From being bullied as a kid for being vegetarian to running the fastest growing plant-based pizza company in the uk together with his dad johill has one of the strongest and most positive mindsets we've encountered straight from the uk you'll learn who he is how to create a company in the current food industry and about his struggles and hurdles in creating his company a masterful conversation that we can all learn from so without further ado I am Andres Anton And I am Choco Fonco. And this is Tomorrow's Bites. Joe, thanks for coming to the podcast. The first question is quite straightforward. Could you tell us who you are and what mission are you behind?
1: Yeah, sure, guys. So thanks for having me. Uh, so my name is Joe Hill, uh, co founder of One Planet Pizza. Uh, We are the UK's uh, leading and first frozen plant-based pizza brand, uh, and we're on a mission to get as many people in the world as possible to eat more plant-based food. One of
2: the remarkable things in your life is that you decided to become a vegetarian already when you were 10 years old. Do you remember how I was taking that decision, or it was not something that was conscious at all?
1: Yeah, so I had a really uh, interesting uh, upbringing. So um, my mum comes from um, a very traditional uh, farming uh, backgrounds uh, from North, so rural Norfolk. Uh, They still have a pig farm. Um, So that was a strong influence growing up. We spent quite a lot of time over there. And uh, and then on the other side, my dad was uh, a vegan all my life and since the early 80s, actually. So he came to it um, at a, a very early age himself. And that, again, influenced me when I was growing up to, to then go vegetarian at the age of around 10.
0: And how uh, is it growing up as a vegetarian?
1: Yeah, so back in back in the, the ni- late 90s, uh, early noughties, um, it still wasn't very common. I'd say it was even less common than... Uh, veganism is nowadays being a vegetarian back then um i think in my school not a small school and i think there were only two of us vegetarian and the other was for religious reasons um so yeah very unusual um a, a really easy target for bullying <laughs> but uh, maybe uh, maybe a stronger person and uh, and yeah as i got older you know uh, got more into it got more resilient and um and you know obviously got more into cooking as you get a bit older as well so it became easier and easier and and then luckily more and more people um started um you know becoming more interested and less afraid of changing their diets eating less animal products
2: after your Mm-hmm. High school, your your, your yeah, yeah years, you decide to study psychology. That is actually not uh, yeah. Somebody could think that you study food technology or something. How? What did you take the decision of studying psychology?
1: And um, to be honest, I didn't really know what I wanted to do after school. So back then, I wasn't too into food. Um, you know, I had a lot of energy and a lot of passion, but I didn't know where to place it. So. Really, for me, it was you know get into business um, or get into psychology, which I always found quite interesting, and it's quite a broad topic that usually can lead into multiple uh, various career paths. So it seemed like an easy choice if you weren't 100 percent certain on you know what you were really excited by. So did that for three years, really enjoyed it, but um, really ended up back at square one after finishing my studies. Um, and yeah, decided to take it into mental health, but really through um, through lack of career options and still looking for for that you know meaningful path in my life.
2: And another thing I believe that is quite curious is that during those years you worked uh, in preventing homelessness in Norfolk. That I understand that is maybe the the area where you uh, come from. Uh, what did you learn from that experience? So that sounds like quite a yeah, I don't know. Being in contact with people that is uh, in in conditions that we normally take as so normal.
1: Yeah, really so for for two or three years um got stuck in with this nonprofit in the UK in Norfolk and um works very closely with you know the most vulnerable uh people uh in society with you know serious severe mental health problems and um many of them were homeless or soon to be homeless so so we're uh, really dealing with incredibly serious problems which which for me I I learned firsthand um how to how to deal with people I'd say people skills that's what it really molded for me was um dealing with all sorts of different people from all walks of life with various problems and and challenges um you know mentally physically financially so it really, you know, gave me the tools needed to then later go into, into the world of uh, starting up your own company. And, and really, for me, that will always involve dealing with very different people, not at any given time and being very good at it.
0: Can you actually take us, give us some examples that you learned from that period and implemented right now in your business?
1: Yeah, spo- I suppose it, um, it was the first time I had to deal with people who were very unhappy or very angry or frustrated and they were sometimes, you know, throwing that your way. Um, probably never came across that before in life, you know, through school um, and then travelling for a few years and then university. I'd never experienced firsthand, um, you know, people in a really desperate difficult situation where they've got huge amount of uh, anger or frustration or sadness loneliness and having to deal with about 10 people going through um equally difficult situations at the same time and and really wear different hats ultimately um throughout the week and throughout the days to you know help them solve those problems um that's what it all came down to is problem solving there was almost always a solution but Um, very different ways of getting there and bearing in mind, these are all individuals, um, you know, with different perceptions of the world, different views of other people, um, different wants, different needs. So that's really, you know, that those life skills were just invaluable. Um, And I still probably, without knowing it, use those um, on a regular basis. An example, I guess, firsthand now would be having my, uh, I have one to ones with the team. We've still got a small team, but very close knit, and all have a lot of responsibilities. And I'd say um, I can really see myself using those skills, dealing with different people's problems uh, on the in those one to one sessions, where you know our team will still have uh, challenges in life, where they're very upset or very frustrated or not sure what to do next, and just helping them. Uh, you know, come to those solutions themselves. Bit of guidance.
2: So, we were talking before that in your upbringing there is a moment when you're ten that you decide to be a vegetarian. But it's in 2014 that you decide to embrace fully the veganism. What are the factors that made you
1: take that decision? Was easy actually? So I, I guess yeah, I've been vegetarian since age 10 um it got to about 2014 roughly um and I remember I was I was at an airport in England and me and Mike were um going on a small trip a summer in Europe and I ordered a vegetarian breakfast at Weatherspoons. doesn't get more British than that and um I think I was reading a book or taking a book away with me and just started it that Mike recommended and it was looking at. really just the ethics behind eating animals and animal byproducts. And, um, as I was eating the meal and I'd been reading this book, it just clicked. And I remember I said to him that, you know, this is the last egg I will ever eat and, um, and, and never went back. Um, so really for me, the, the driving force wasn't sustainability or, um, my own health, but probably, uh, the animal welfare side, um, and, it, you know, f- if I didn't want to cause any harm, avoidable harm to any animals, then being vegetarian wasn't enough for me. And, uh, and, and when I realized that, I had to make that decision to, to go uh, fully vegan and give up all, you know, all animal products.
0: And then in 2016, you started with your father the journey to provide the world with vegan frozen pizzas. Can you share us this, this story? How did it actually started? And yeah, uh, yeah wh- why did it actually also start with frozen pizza?
1: Um, yeah, I mean, it's hard to believe, but it's coming up to uh, seven years actually since we started it um, in, uh, yeah, in November. So I guess what happened was I, I'd come out of university, started working for this charity. Uh, Mike was busy running his other business in the leisure sector Um, and really both of us without fully knowing it had this real passion for veganism we had this um, we had the skills I think that you need to start up a business he had already done it in another sector and um, I guess what was missing was was the gap in the market and for the market to be big enough um you know to to scale and build a business within so luckily around 2014 2015 as you guys will probably know across Europe UK especially um veganism plant-based food just boomed all of a sudden a couple of big documentaries came out um generally people were becoming increasingly more aware of um the impact that animal uh, agriculture has on the planet and you know, understanding the uh, the carbon intense intensity of certain foods versus others, and, and really looking to plant-based foods for you know own health reasons, among any among other things. So the market was growing very quickly here, and we were seeing lots of really cool new brands popping up, um, you know, offering alternatives uh, to dairy. So the milks seemed to come first, yogurts uh cheeses and then we were seeing lots of frozen and chilled burgers chicken uh things like that uh, sausages but no one was looking at pizza um you know there was only one gluten-free chilled pizza around um so we, we couldn't believe that you know such a huge um such a huge type of food across the world and in the uk in particular frozen or chilled wasn't being tapped into So we thought, you know, let's um, let's combine our passion for veganism, uh, Mike's experience running another business and let's give it a go. So that was um, 20 sort of end of 2015 into 2016. We had that idea and then we started in the evenings just working out of his kitchen and garage and just, um, you know, using our uh, sort of experience having pizzas and making them from scratch every Friday night as a family growing up. Combining that with uh, you know these these brilliant plant based cheeses and toppings that were coming out, and uh, you know actually the pizzas were coming out pretty nice. Suddenly we thought there's there's going to be a real appetite for this, um, and we started started making them in the evenings. So we both were working in the day, making the pizzas at night, and then you know it was as simple as just taking them to the local um, health shops. Like there was a couple of vegan stores that had opened up, and uh, literally d- delivering 20 um, and then you know seeing what happened over the next week and we were just finding that, that there was this incredible um, excitement and buzz around this new brand that had just emerged and, and really then it just snowballed very quickly from one store to 20 within our region and then we had to get a van and start scaling up pretty quickly
0: this shows really how important it is to start as early as possible to the market, yeah, right?
1: Absolutely. Yeah, we're big believers in getting that product, getting that brand to a point where it's good enough, uh, launching it, testing it, uh, you know, pulling back, testing, revising, and then um, constantly improving. But yeah, a lot of people, I think, struggle by waiting to have something that's absolutely perfect, and then they may miss the boat.
2: Yeah. I had a question. I was maybe it's quite related to what you, you were already saying, but it seems that a lot of plant-based products tend to look how mimic well, or tend to mimic traditional products. No, that is the what a lot of plant-based products try to do, and therefore sometimes they struggle in this process of creating the resemblance. When you were developing your pizza, you were already like looking to deliver something like the traditional pizza experience. Or you were already focused on this is a plant-based experience. This the vegan pizza is gonna be something different. Do you have also any struggles when you were trying to develop a delicious product first?
1: Yeah, we had. Um, we've gone through plenty of challenges around taste and quality and price. We've pretty much, you know, made every mistake in the book starting up. But we hadn't. We hadn't had the experience of running a food business and a plant-based business especially so really um one of the biggest learnings over the last uh, six or seven years is that particularly for pizza and probably the same for a lot of foods um taste has to come first and you have to really get that message across quickly to consumers Uh, otherwise they just won't pick it up or they won't come back if it doesn't deliver if they do buy it so i think in those early days probably for the first year or two we were trying to focus too much on the fact it was plant-based the fact it was vegan um and you know looking at looking you know the call outs and the messages on the pack that we were focusing most on weren't taste which was probably a mistake to start with um so people were buying them because we were lucky people were buying them because they you know it was really the only option for a while um and and then for us it was it's pretty important very quickly to change our messages deliver on taste first, um, which meant a lot of innovation and, and a, lot of, a lot of searching for you know, a better cheese, uh, a better base, finding the better ham toppings, et cetera, which we still do on a really regular basis. But um, yeah, the, the early pizzas are nowhere near as tasty as they are now, um, but uh, at the time they were solving a problem and there was no competition. So we were lucky that we had a, a bit of an opportunity to develop them quite quickly.
0: And there, there comes that moment that you have to find funding, right? You have to go to venture capitalists or anyone in the field that can offer you a certain amount of money to invest in your company. How, how did the process go for you? Do you still remember your first pitch, for instance, that you did to them?
1: Yeah, I mean, I probably would uh, be embarrassed to see it now, but uh, <laughs> you yeah, know, you've got to you've got to start somewhere, haven't you? So I, I think. I think within the first uh probably by the end of the first 12 months we we needed some money because we saw the potential we needed to scale quite quickly um you know for us it was we needed a bigger kitchen space we needed to hire some staff uh we needed to work on the packaging um and also we needed to hire you know hire or buy a freezer van so that we could start reaching other shops further away other wholesalers so we actually decided um we decided to go down the crowdfunding path to start with um, because there weren't any other um, companies doing what we were doing and we mm-hmm. thought it was a really good story. Um, and also we wanted to, we wanted to really raise awareness of the brand very quickly and affordably through the community. So we did, we did a crowdfund and um, used a platform here called Cedars in the UK. Um, didn't need a lot of money. And, um, so we had quite a low target, and we used the local plant-based community to to really, you know, create a platform and push it within the community. Um, and we thought back then it worked really well. I think now things have changed a lot, um, but we I think we were the first uh, we were the first vegan brand in Europe to to do that crowdfunding back then. Um, whereas now, you know, it's it's pretty commonplace, and almost everyone's done it at some point. Um, But it it really worked and we had that really strong community of of, um, micro investors um, that have followed us on the journey ever since. And um, yeah, we've gone through a couple of rounds of that now, um, plus some private investment that we've got along the way as well. In these seven years, what has been the biggest
2: problem you have struggled? Like one... Like a problem that in some moment you were thinking, wow, uh, I don't know if we are going to be able to ever cope with this. And if if it has been solved, how has been the process to solve it?
1: Well, yeah, luckily it has been solved. (laughs) But um, I'd say the biggest problem we've experienced uh, all of these years would be manufacturing. So it wasn't something we had any experience in, food manufacturing. So we really had to learn, um, learn from scratch, you know, pretty much every aspect of it. And it's, it's very complicated, very expensive um, takes a long time to, um, you know, to, to break even. And it takes, it's, it's quite high risk because there's a lot of investment in um, overheads. So we always wanted when we started, it was very easy. When we were small scale, we, you know, had a Mike's kitchen to start with. And then very soon we moved into the back of a, local restaurant that Mike co-owned and and set up so that was all very that was quite affordable low risk Um, you know we were sharing facilities so um, that works but when we needed to take it to the next level we had a a purpose-built kitchen um, built for us and then you know then our overheads increased quite quickly this the staff increased quite a lot and and then it became much riskier so we were very prone to price increases um increasing energy costs um you know problems with packaging supplies we pretty much were were hit by everything at at one point over the years and it got to the point um last year where we had to make a really tricky decision and, and we said to each other you know um either we stick with our factory and try and claw back our margins and you know, figure out how to cover the costs, which were pretty uh, pretty horrendous at the time because we just weren't quite getting the the volumes of pizza sales enough so that we could, you know, that we could break even. Um, so really what we had to do was come up with a very quick solution and it was pretty radical, but we decided that the, really the best way forward to survive was to close our own kitchen down as quickly as possible, make some difficult redundancies Uh, Keep our senior team, um, but strip it right down and then actually find a co-man, a manufacturing partner um, that had the ability to, um, you know, to. To order packaging in larger volumes so they could keep the costs down, do the same with all the ingredients. They made their own base and source in-house, so that was much more affordable. And also they had the ability to scale uh, much quicker than we could on our own so if if we got a tesco listing or a another big listing like sainsbury's then um having our own kitchen we would really struggle we'd have to you know double in size hire a load more staff invest in a load more equipment we may not have been able to raise the money for that so moving to a manufacturer made so much more sense uh, in in a lot of different ways we we managed to get that over the finish line around february march this year it took a long time um and it was pretty challenging but we got there and uh and then i'd say over the last 3 or 4 months we've really started seeing seeing all of the benefits you know it's allowed us to focus on parts of the business that we're best at and that we enjoy the most and then also you know we don't have to worry about um about increasing the production quickly if we do win that second or third listing quite quite soon
0: that's a very brave decision that you did there right as a team But which is also a very brave decision is taking something very cultural, close to someone's heart. And that's the pizza for Italians, right? So this is a tricky question. But what do Italians think about your pizza?
1: It's always uh, it's a bit like the pineapple on pizza debate. It's, It's always quite controversial, depending on who you're talking to. Michael always laughs because I think over the years at events we've, we've met various Italians and as soon as they come over, they always tell you they're Italian when they see you doing pizza, regardless of whether it's vegan. And and then we hold our breath while they eat it. (laughs) And I'd say nine times out of 10, they're very surprised, you know, because, uh, most, most of the time they haven't tried a vegan pizza. They always love, and they're very, um, invested in any sort of pizza. Um, I think we get high scores now because we've moved to a brilliant sourdough wood-fired base. So I think Italians respect the quality of our new base and the sauce and um yeah, I think in the early days we didn't get such good reviews from Italians, but now that we've made all these improvements, they uh we almost always surprise and delight them. But uh when they see the pep- when they see the pineapple on pizza, um it's a different <laughs> matter, but we we we're prepared for those conversations now. Now you could do like the like
2: like uh, the paste the, the, the toothpaste that they say nine of nine out of ten dentists approve this toothpaste yeah yeah nine out of ten Italians
1: <laughs> approve this pizza yeah it's not a bad shout it does it is funny it does come up in conversation a lot with the Italians um and they're, they're just not that um geared up for uh, plant based I think they are still very traditional in their food um so they do take a little bit more convincing than uh you know the, the dutch for example who are always surprising us with how uh forward thinking they are and they have lots of traditions with food but they're very they're generally as a consumer very open to trying new things um so they they score very highly on that and on that front
2: um in your linkedin moving to Another type of conversation. You're really active, giving advice to professionals on how to build a plant-based brand. Plant. So let's do an exercise. Imagine that Shaq and I uh, we are really convinced to start a plant-based company. Uh, I'm gonna say we are gonna do a plant-based drink that is made out of the seeds of pumpkin. And now, pumpkin seeds. I'm throwing this for the audience, if, in case they want to to grab it. So what would be the top three advice that you would give us regarding how to build our brand?
1: Um, okay, so number one, I would say um, first you need to make sure there's a big enough appetite. I think that sounds obvious, but it's a, it's a common mistake I see quite often. You know, it's consider you're already a niche brand if you're plant-based. Uh, and if you're not careful, you can... Um, you can laser focus too much on a very small demographic. You know, you may only have tens of thousands um, of potential customers and, you know, only a small percentage of them are going to uh, try something new and, you know, become loyal customers. So that's probably one of the first things that we we waited for. And, it you know, it's t- it can be timing, you know, it may be right in five years, but it may not be a, a big enough appetite now. Um so i'd say once you've established that um second is uh, is is competition so you know is there anyone else out there doing anything similar um, and again sounds very obvious but that gave us a huge advantage for the first um two or three years there was just no one else in the uk doing what we were doing and that gave us a massive advantage on you know putting something else putting something out there that wasn't 100% and it wasn't perfect but um it gave us time to uh you know to, to look at who was buying them, to look at what they were, that they were impressed with, what they weren't impressed with, pull back, review, and then uh, you know, and then bring out something slightly better. Um if there's some competition there, I don't know if you'd get that much of a chance to do something like that, all of that testing, revising, improving and developing. So I think uh, really understanding um, who and if your competition are out there and also w- how to set yourself apart from the competition. So, you know, I, I always talk on LinkedIn about your sort of three main USPs or two or three main USPs um, and plant-based probably isn't one of them. I'd say that's your category. That's what defines you. Um, I'd say your USPs really is what sets you apart if there is competition and why would people pick up your pizza over a Goodfellas fella's or a chicago town um so for us, it's uh number one is taste which i think probably for most food brands taste doesn't need to be what are you the best tasting uh if so how are you confident that stands up and then um and then have a second and third um in your in your uh, armory so for us with we think we believe we're the tastiest if that isn't enough we think we're the most sustainable and we talk about that a lot on our packaging through our socials through our website So we double down on that. And if we can, we back it up with science, with data, Mm -hmm. um, which we have done in the past with with my emissions, using a calculator to give a carbon score on a pack to make it really easy for consumers to understand. Um, And then third for us is health. So having that third one just makes your case even stronger for customers um, potentially looking at you for the first time. And then I guess um, third would be, probably there's quite a few, but maybe, maybe simple price, you know, um, can you actually make something if there's, yeah. So if there's an appetite for it, if you know there's enough customers out there that would potentially buy your product. And if you are confident, either there's no competition or you can beat the competition that's already out there with your two or three USPs, then I'd say the next big question, the next big challenge is can you actually produce this yourself or with a manufacturer? Uh, your drinks brand, for example, can you make it um, and scale at, at a price that's going to be right for the consumers that's going to land uh, in that sweet spot? So to bring it back to pizza, we started at a really high price. It was an it was a real premium, but luckily it was the only one out there that was solving that problem for uh, for vegans and vegetarians. So they were willing to pay quite a bit more. But as more flexitarians came into the market and more competition uh, we couldn't get away with charging that premium anymore, so we had to really make a tough decision and uh, and you know figure out a way without compromising on the brand and the quality to bring that price down, um, so that we didn't lose out to the competition. Um, so if you if you can't, I'd say if you can't do all of those three things, you're you're probably not going to survive. Um, but yeah, I'd say you know it, probably in that order as well. But price is is pretty crucial. But it does depend on, you know, who else is out there at that time.
0: And then the next thing is creating the engagement around your brand and creating the community that supports it. Um, How was it in your case? And do you have actually tips?
1: Yeah, community was was pretty much the, um, you know, the, the fundamental for us to start with. So, social media was still quite new and exciting and me and Mike had no idea what we were doing but we you know we really built built a brand um that was firmly positioned right in the core of you know the vegan community in the UK so we wanted to make sure everyone who was vegan for whatever reason knew who we were and we were their go-to vegan certified brand that they could trust and you know rely on a lot of word of mouth as our as our main marketing tool really because we didn't have the funds to do anything anything more expensive. So, you know, to start with it was Instagram, just telling our story, um, you know, the the good, the bad and the ugly, uh, sharing everything, being very honest, very open, and that really resonated with people. Um, I think they quite liked to see that we were just two two guys who were passionate and we were vegan and believed in what we were doing with the mission at the core of everything. And we were we weren't perfect, and we hadn't done this before. I think that they really, um, they really liked to see that. So we built up a, a, a great community through social media, um, and then also locally in Norfolk, we got really strong connections to the Norwich Vegans group, um, which has you know grown steadily over the years. Um, and I guess that that was really our, you know, that was our launch pad, Was the vegan community uh, serving them? you know giving them something that was tasty um that was solving that problem for them and that they they knew was vegan uh certified so they could they could relax when they were buying our pizzas and they tell their other vegan friends but that was only going to last so long and it's still a very small percentage of the population over here so we then needed to um adjust our messages and very consciously shift towards being a brand that was still vegan, but was actually uh, focusing on appealing to the flexitarians. So we decided to switch from talking about animal welfare um, and use literally using the word vegan to plant-based and talking more about, you know, this is just a great tasty pizza that's very sustainable and here's why. Um, and that's been something that we've been working on through the years as as your customer changes, um, it made sense for us to focus on, you know, the biggest portion of the population who might buy our pizzas and, and they are the flexis. So we had to start focusing and create a new strategy that was going to entice those those uh, consumers more than just the vegans without ignoring the vegan community that uh, helped us get to where we are. It is said
2: in social media and uh, yeah, and in general media, that right now the plant-based industry faces a complicated situation. We could actually have another debate: how much of that is true, how much of that, who are the actual uh, persons to blame? But in in an exercise of being autocritic with the plant-based market. Uh, what mistakes do you think that these companies are doing uh, and and that's why maybe they are n- not growing as much as as
1: they were supposed to? I, I'd probably argue that um it's not so much companies making mistakes, but more just the um unfortunate situation that we're in at the moment with with um you know with the rising costs. With um, customers focusing much more on uh, value and where they can save money over, you know, which brands are more sustainable or responsible or more ethical uh, or, or even products that are healthier for the individuals. So we can see we, we can see when we look at the data that um, that's shifted a lot since COVID, and uh, you know more recently with with the cost of living crisis that's changed um shopping habits so i'd say that's probably the main factor that's impacted plant-based which because we don't have um don't have the scale we don't have the power that um animal products have you know the meat and dairy industry um is is still so much bigger than the whole plant-based sector combined that you know they they can offer uh better distribution more affordable value products um, and there's a whole debate about uh, how much the government subsidises meat and dairy um, over here. It's it's a real problem because it's it's almost showing the consumer, uh, you know, it's an unfair advantage for those industries. Um, so we're seeing, a, you know, plant based is being hit because a lot of cust- a lot of consumers of plant based are moving back to dairy and meat because mm-hmm. it is cheaper, and that's their main concern at the moment is where to save money. Um, so, I think now the challenge is, and, and we are seeing brands respond to this, is offering more affordable plant-based options as well as more premium um, to try and uh, give people more choice and have budget options available too. But really, um, not. Um, I, I think health you know, is, is still huge. We think most people are, are still eating plant-based for health reasons above anything. So I think brands probably need to be doubling down on on what's um, you know what they can what solutions they're offering for uh, for people's health. So you know is this product as tasty as meat? Does it, um, it you know is it low in fat? Is it low in salt? Low in sugar? Has it got a clean ingredient deck? Um, you know being really clear on what it's what problem it's solving and how it's helping people eat healthier. Proteins still a massive one. I think a lot of brands could be doing more to offer sources of protein, high protein content, and and clearly displaying that to people. Um, but really, I think we will see um, plant based bounce back next year. I think because a lot of um, a lot of the negative press we've got this year is is also partly because we're seeing a lot of consolidation and a lot of brands. <laughs> um being kicked off the shelves but but a lot of that is because we got you know too much shelf space to begin with in chilled in, in particular oh, yeah. you know um it was probably overinflated because it was a really exciting new category and all the supermarkets were throwing everything at it let's see what these hundred brands do and then we'll start to you know start to cull them cut back on the ones that aren't performing um you know delist the brands that uh that we're not too impressed with and keep the ones that have done well. So I think that may have happened in, in a lot of other different categories if, if they'd gone through the same process.
0: Now I wonder how is the life of being an entrepreneur in this field? And also you work closely with your father. So having a family in the business Mm. has some challenges, can take some challenges as well.
1: Yeah, no, we're very lucky that we, um, we get on really well. We're both very relaxed. so yeah, we complement each other, and we have different skill sets. So I, I think um, you know I tend to lead on marketing, um, anything to do with the brand, events, uh, sales, and then Mike is very strong and more experienced with dealing with investors, you know, getting that investment and and looking at our accounts, um, looking at our margins, for example. So he tends to handle most things to do with the numbers, and um, and looks at our business plan um and then i focus on all the exciting stuff <laughs> but uh yeah it, it does work very well we're very lucky uh, i think it had to work well otherwise we probably wouldn't still be here um but now that we've for us really you know now we've moved the manufacturing um our lives are a heck of a lot easier on a daily basis it was you know i talk a lot on linkedin about burning out which i did a lot over the last few years with our with our own site it was pretty much non-stop every day and there was always a fire to put out there was always a problem that we had to deal with um which was uh, yeah very stressful um and and now we're in a much stronger position where we're focusing on you know ultimately selling the pizzas building the brand, raising awareness doing the stuff that we really enjoy and, and leaving the the manufacturing the logistics to um To a company that's been doing it a lot longer than us and does it at a much higher level.
0: Do you actually want to share a a lesson? One big lesson that you learned from that really stressful time.
1: Yeah, I'd say probably the biggest thing I can take away from it is um, is being open, sharing. So for me, it was my way of sharing was through LinkedIn, and I was able to actually. really build something and and gain something from all of those difficult times those you know pretty horrific challenges even the burning out two or three times really badly and uh, you know impacting my health but sharing it and and uh, documenting it and learning from it um through linkedin uh, for me was was incredibly valuable now looking back because it helps me hold myself accountable but also it's allowed me to really build a platform that's, um, that's helping other people. You know, it seems to have really resonated with other founders, other people setting up businesses or working for startups and challenger brands. Um, you know, it's, it's, really, it's really nice now seeing people commenting on my posts, saying that, you know, they've, they've been really learning from my posts and my experience. And, um, you know, it's helped them with X, Y or Z and uh, you know or they've gone through something similar in the past and it was nice to see that they weren't alone and that someone else was going through it and managed to survive it so that's probably my biggest takeaway
0: this goes actually back to what you did in the start right joe helping people when you did it for the homeless ones you now do it for the other founders as well
1: absolutely full circle
2: (laughs) full circle where do you see or where would you like to see one planet pizza in 5 years from now
1: yeah i think uh, so our mission is pretty clear and um i think our our ambition is to is to really be a you know the go to household um name for for vegan pizza so we want to be we want to be the best selling vegan pizza in the uk um and you know, we are still the only brand that's just focused on pizza in vegan pizza. So that's that I think is quite achievable. We're we're not uh, a million miles away from um you know being the best selling in terms of rate of sale in the UK supermarkets. We just need to get one or two more big listings. So me, it's to be the leading or best-selling frozen vegan pizza in the UK. Um and Mike always talks about. Having one percent of the frozen pizza uh, market here in Europe, I can't remember. I think it's in the tens of millions in turnover. If we just become, you know, if we just get one percent of that total market share, um, it makes us a very successful challenger brand. Um, So really, we we want to we just want to be that go-to name in frozen pizza. Very focused on what we're achieving. Not too much uh, looking at other categories or, you know, spreading ourselves too thin. Just focusing purely on vegan pizza.
2: And still looking to the future. In your LinkedIn profile, you're constantly promoting what other companies are accomplishing. I think that is really nice from your part. And which proposals are you more excited about from the ones that you normally share? Um, other Other brands,
1: sorry. Um, yeah so personally really excited about um, tempeh so I'm sure you guys are well aware but uh, tempeh is like tofu's older stronger brother so I think it's a fantastic protein source um really clean um you know seems fairly easy to pro- produce and scale with um so Better Nature in the UK have just landed in Tesco and Asda um i think they've got two or three different products all tempeh based um i eat it every week i think it's a fantastic healthy alternative to meat it doesn't taste like anything else you eat so it's very unique but um they offer a couple of different flavors i I, I think that's a brilliant product great brand um and i guess on on the on the other end of the scale you've got um brands that are focusing purely on taste. So there's a company called Moving Mountains here in the UK. Um they've just gone through a big rebrand. They do uh three or four different frozen products, burgers, sausages, but they do a they do a Moving Mountains quarter pounder burger. So like a really big burger and it's got um I think it's 10%, I could be wrong, 10% mushrooms. So it's um I love anything that seems to be able to use mushrooms to make a meaty texture, a bit healthier. And I think it always seems to deliver on texture. So their burger is one of my favorite products. Um, Huge fan of what they're doing. Want to see them in more places. Um, And I guess I'd love to see more innovation focusing on health. So mushrooms I think are still um, gonna have their glory day. Is seeing lots of interesting stuff with people using mushrooms over in Australia in particular. So um, I'd like to see that over the next few years. More, more meat mimicking products that are um, cleaner, healthier, less processed, um, but still deliver on taste and price.
0: And then we wondered, Joe, what is your favourite food or dish? And it can be as broad as
1: possible. Oh, I mean, um, we used to do a cheeseburger pizza. Not to be too too uh biased, but we did this cheeseburger pizza which had um meatless farm burger chunks. It had uh biffs. So in the UK biffs do these incredible jackfruit wings and um and burgers. They did uh they do an amazing uh burger sauce all plant based and then we used to put caramelized onion chutney um what else do we put on the burger? Yeah and then and then some of our favorite plant-based cheese and that oh sorry some gherkins just to make it even more radical and we used to make these pizzas from scratch at events uh you know stretch the dough out um cover it in all these toppings and it was just one of the best things i've ever eaten so we hope to bring that back for the frozen market one day um apart from our own pizzas i'm uh, probably for me it's a massive you know plant based lasagna or shepherd's pie um they're sort of really hearty staple dishes all year round, but but especially good when it gets colder. So I'd probably stick with those two, keep it classic.
2: Great, great. Well, we are reaching the end of the conversation. Uh, Joe has been so pleasant to hear to to hear to all your answers. Is there anything that you think is important that we haven't discussed, or that you would like to share uh, before ending the conversation?
1: No, I I think you guys have smashed it. I mean, um, it's been, yeah, it's been really in depth. I would just probably say again that, um, you know, when you think about um, setting up a brand or joining a challenger brand within the plant-based community, I'd say it's just, I can't stress enough how important it is to utilize that community that you have because, you know, through LinkedIn, through social media, through Facebook pages, um, communities like Kitchen Republic in the Netherlands. As soon as you work within food and especially within plant-based, you've got this incredibly powerful, um, you know, group of like-minded people who most of the time are working towards the same end goal, um, and will almost always uh, help you. You know, whether it's where to buy equipment, um, your best place to source your packaging you know, sharing event space, at a bigger uh, food event, uh, you know, who's got a food truck I can borrow. It, over the years, we've just almost always lent on the plant-based um, sector, whether that's in the UK or abroad. And uh, it's just been invaluable. So I'd say just double down on on your community, get to know who's out there, who's doing what, and be very active and supportive and, and help where you can. And it will no doubt come back. Um come back and reward you in the future
2: thanks for sharing this Joe I believe that right now one planet pizza can be find can be found in in the UK for sure no that is where you come from in the Netherlands uh in there's a I, I believe that in 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 jumbo uh, for a moment I don't know if in any other country uh, is still available is available the uh, the pizza yeah that's right
1: yeah so as the across the UK in in most as the stores um, and we've got a brilliant stockist locator map on our website. So you can have a look at the Netherlands. So we're in about 120 uh, jumbo stores, and, um, and then we're in a couple of other countries as well. So we're testing the market in Iceland, um, and then there may be a few others where we've got a couple of stockists like France uh, over on our website.
0: Well, Joe, I think this was a wonderful conversation and really thank you. I think you hit it right on the spot, how to create a brand, a quality product, right? You even got Italians on your boat. (laughs) So, yeah, that's just only giving some respect. And uh, I hope uh, that the future will be yours as well, getting it spread all over the world.
1: Absolutely. We'll do our best. Thanks a lot. Thanks, guys.